There's a trucky easing back the throttle to tell Australia about the wattle that forms a golden carpet by the roadside. Down the Murray, up the track, cross the paddock, out the back, all part of Macca's network. What are you up to this morning, Don? Uh, I've got to go out and feed about 13,000 sheep and lambs because I'm in charge of meals on wheels and it's about the only following I'm ever going to get. <laughs> <laughs> been pretty much ongoing since about mid to late February. A lot of the country's about as bare as a badger's bum. All the crops have pretty much gone in dry, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with what weed growth's going to be in crops and whether we're going to be chasing weeds later. We can really feel how the people in the eastern states are going. They've been going through it for a couple of years. And I've got a mate over at Warren, and he reckons it's that dry over there that he's got his pot plants out on adjustment. That's exactly right, yep. And it looks as though he might have to shift them. Standing on the beach at Seisha, looking out to the Torres Strait, it's paradise. Just six k's up the road from Bamiga. It's not far from the tip of Australia. Seen a few fish jump out of the ocean while I've been waiting to talk to you. Keeping my eye out for crocs, but there isn't any. None that you can see. There's truckies ringing, quilters calling, there's winter chills and snow starts falling, and everybody's talking about the weather. Jeez, Carl, mate. In Jamestown, Buck and Old Talbingo, Lura, Portsy, Bernie, Dingo, they're warming up with Macca on a Sunday morning. I wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. Good morning and welcome to the program wherever you are. Love to talk to you. Uh, it's been a, I've had a week. <laughs> I've had a week, a week to remember and a week to forget, if you know what I mean. But um, it's nice to be with you this morning. Wherever you are, you can give us a ring. 1300 700 Love to talk to you. This is... A, Email's coming. You can email me, macatracks at gmail.com, macatracks at gmail.com. Stephen says, Stephen Raglis, is it? Steve? Yeah. We're a typical retired couple. Leo will be 70 next year. I'll be 73. We have a large caravan with a vehicle to tow it and a seniors card. We have a King Charles Spaniel that we take wherever we go, but we're not allowed to take her into national parks. I would like to put a proposal that if our seniors card is endorsed with the microchip number of Josie the dog, we are permitted to take her into national parks, Australia-wide. This will invoke screams from the Greens. We have played by the rules all our lives and are prepared to agree to any penalty imposed by national parks for non-compliance. This will add to the increase in the gate-taking swollen by a flood of seniors that will now include national parks in their carefully planned holidays. Says Stephen. They want to take the dog... We've had, over the years, many calls from people who take their dogs travelling with them. I suppose that's what you've got to do, really, haven't you? And the dog gets away or they just let it out for a, a whiz and then all of a sudden the dog's disappeared. Happens quite a lot. Carmen says, my name's Carmen, of course, Carmen McGowan. She says, I, live on, I lived on Kangaroo Island for the past 16 years. I have lived. I've lived. I run a small souvenir and shoe business in Kingscope. We moved here to get close to nature and away from the rat race. Unfortunately, we've seen so much change and pressure on the wild places we've come to know and love. The final straws come of late. The powers be that be have decided to allow a high-end resort smack in the middle of our national park in the wildest part of the island. It's not just a local issue, but an Australian one. What hope do we have if national parks are open up to developers? I'm not sure what can be done, but you seem to be a kindred spirit. <laughs> 
Do I? That's nice, Carmen. Uh, and may shine a light on, on this. Hmm. Oh, well, I have, sort of. Um, that's about all I can do. Uh, Carmen, good luck. Blue says, sitting down once with a mate from Darwin, and he said, there's a tartar lizard. The same lizard in parts of Queensland is called the shaky paw lizard. They do this little wave with their front legs, and it looks like they're saying tartar or... Oh, <laughs> Shaky paw, the shaky paw lizard. Megan, please show us that pretty tree in your yard, says jo- Josie. Is it Josie? Josie Harvey. Uh, it's on Facebook, Josie. Go and have a look there. It's on Facebook. It's a pink flowering ironbark. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's the story. And our number 1300 On the program today are flying kites. Uh, you'll meet a marine pilot. Uh, we'll go to China and uh, we'll talk to you. 1300 700 222. Good day, this is Macca. Good morning, Macca. This is Cole from uh, Iluka at the uh, mouth of the Clarence River. Oh, what a mighty river the old Clarence is. Right. Well, I don't know whether your travels uh, in recent months have taken you past the new Harwood Bridge that's being built oh, over, I've, the, over the river. I, I, well, the last time I was through there was a couple of months ago, I think. I, yeah. cro- I crossed, uh, yeah, I knew it was being built, or yeah, I saw yeah. it, yep. Yeah, well, it's, it's virtually finished. It, it won't be open until next year, and it's a part of the big, uh, you know, expansion of the uh, highway. But well, I haven't had any luck. You know how when they uh, open a new bridge, they usually have the day before the dignitaries, and everyone has the opportunity to, to walk to, over the to bridge. To walk the bridge, yeah. Well, they did yeah. that in Kempsey when they had the – that's about the longest sort of yeah, raised bridge. And they did, it, yeah. they did it 18 months ago at Maxville when they opened the Philip Hughes Bridge. Mm. I've been writing to the authorities, the uh, Wulgurga to Ballina people, and saying, why don't it won't be open for another six months or more? Why don't they designate two or three days for people to have that one opportunity? Because there'll be no pedestrian access over it once it is open. It'll just be for vehicular traffic. And I've suggested, why don't they designate two or three days in the lead up where people can walk across the bridge? And uh, Unfortunately, all I've got back from them, and thanks to your interest in the bridge, we always like to uh, consult with the local people. <laughs> well, that's people. always nice, isn't it? Thanks for your interest, <laughs> but we're, thanks for your interest, but we're not <laughs> interested. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's about right. That's exactly what happened, and it's a bit of a shame because there'll be people who have watched it happening the last few years being built, and they've done a marvelous job, and all the lead-ups almost done, and they will never get another chance. And they might be away on that weekend when they say it's going to be opened, or they've got other yeah. commitments. You know, and I don't think it would hurt too much to have two or three days. In the months leading up, where's the pedestrian accident on the old bridge? Is it? It'll be on the old bridge, and that will be that will remain the case. And mm-hmm. if you're travelling, say from Waluca to Yamba, you'll have to use the old bridge. It's only for the through traffic that'll use the uh, the big bridge, and it's a it's a marvellous structure. But uh, yeah, it's a bit of a shame that uh, they haven't even been answering my question as, as to whether there will be a walkover. Yeah, thanks for your interest, but yeah, like you said, well, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Cole, you live in Waluca, do you? Or? Yeah, beautiful. It's the dress circle of the lower clearance. Oh, I didn't know that, see. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good place. that You lived there all your life, Cole, have you? No, no, I just retired here, had the pick of all the East Coast and decided on La Luca. It's lovely. It's lovely. There you go. All right. Yeah. And what's the name of the bridge? It's called the Harwood Bridge? It's... It is just called the Harwood Bridge at this day, just not named after anyone in particular, no politician, not me, no one, no. <laughs> I reckon it should be the Cole... Cole from yeah. Waluca Bridge. That'd yeah, be nice. that's right. Yeah, well, let's go for that. At least we might try and get a walkover. Yeah, yeah it's funny though. I, I suppose it's because it's on the freeway. I suppose they don't have any uh, pedestrian access. It may make it too difficult. Oh diffi- no, no, and it's it too, too high. Diffi- yeah, yeah, and and they'll probably if I if I get a response this time, they'll probably say workplace health and safety issues will 
not allow us to do that because, you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I don't think it's too difficult, you know, a task to, you know, improvise that and let that happen. But anyway, we'll see. This might prompt a bit of interest from them. Cole, it may do. It may do. All right, thanks for taking the call. Uh, keep in touch, Cole. G'day, this is Macca. Oh, hi, this is Raisa. I'm ringing you from uh, Dubbo. G'day, Raisa. What are you doing? What are you up to? Oh, You're I'm out and about. I'm, ever, I'm uh, running, I'm training. So today's my 37K training day. Be ready for a Gold Coast Marathon. Oh, you're going in the goal. There must be a lot of people going in the, the marathon. Our uh, running correspondent, Anne, last week uh, and the week before, she told, told us she's, uh, she's in training for that. Um, uh, you live in Dubbo, Rose. What do you do in Dubbo? Well, I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. Yeah. I've been practicing for the last 16 years. Originally, I come from China, immigrated from China, 1979, with Russian-Chinese background. Uh-huh. I did speak four fluent languages, plus English. And then uh, after settling in Sydney, eventually I met a nice man, and he's a chiropractor, Adam Carter, and he said he lives in Dubbo. Well, I deeply fall, we deeply fall in love with each other. So I moved to Dubbo uh, 27, almost 28 years ago. So here I am, I become a... Dubbonese instead of Chinese. There you go. Now, Rachel, tell me this. When you're in, if you're training in Dubbo, it's, it's pretty flat. There's not a lot of hills in Dubbo. Um, I'm not sure about the course on the Gold Coast. Is it, is it a very hilly course? Do you know much about the, the course? Because you've, yes. you're flat there, aren't you? You've got no hills at all, really, in Dubbo. Uh, we, can't, we can't find the hills because there's a lot of sign in place. And I need a once-a-week hill training. But I'm a 61-year-old woman. And then I actually done a Boston, New York, and Japan, and I'm going to Gold Coast in three weeks. But most importantly, I'm actually going to Berlin and Chicago in September, October. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this uh, six major epic marathon. Uh-huh. So you get six medals put together called Abbott Marathon uh, Achievement. So I'm doing that, but you actually been my running partner for the last three years, which you know that well. So listening listen to you every Sunday when I'm running. Well, that's good. Now, Rachel, tell me this. Um, you're a GP, is that right? I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. All right. So I practice uh, acupuncture and the Chinese herbal medicine. Uh-huh. And have you... So s- I'm the first one. As, as such, do you see a lot of cases of uh, the flu uh, this year, or do people come to you for for um, the flu? Yeah, uh, people generally come into my apartment. It's so neat, so bad. Have you <laughs> got an ache everywhere? So I feel a lot of temptation. And you have? Uh, have you got sore knees from running? No. I treat myself twice a week. If I wasn't a Chinese medicine practitioner. I would never be able to do what I'm doing today. There you go. And you know, I only started picking up riding 56 when I was 56 years old, five years ago. And, so I started uh, very late. And why did you start? My children are grown up. Well, they're not really up out the in uni. So I always loved the sport. I always played netball, basketball, 
in China, the school I was one of the skiers and tallest, well, tallest active. It's, I think it's in my blood. Yeah, well, look, you can have 37 Ks on your own today, I reckon. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long way to run, but good luck and stay tuned and nice to talk to you, Razor. Yeah, thank you. I will keep listening to you. Good on you. And then I really actually enjoyed a few weeks ago, there was a lady, 72, riding and going to uh, London Marathon. Yep, yep, that's Anne. I thought, yep. oh, my God, I've got another 10 years to catch her. And I was so admired her. And listen to her story. She said, there we go. I thought I was old. There's someone much older than me. Yes. I have these old interesting stories. Well, great to talk to you, Razor. Yeah, thank you, Mac. I will keep listening to you. Pleasure. Have a good station. Thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Hi, Maka. This is PJ. G'day, PJ. Hello. Yeah, hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Good, that's good. What is, what's uh, P, what are you doing, PJ? Um, I am on my way to work out in Mauro, Central Queensland, from Brisbane, which takes me about eight hours by the time I get there. <laughs> yeah, that's a why. What do you do, uh, PJ? I'm a rural remote paramedic, and I look after thirteen hundred and fifty people up there, and. Um, beautiful bunch of people and I do it every week so I drive in and drive out and come back again. That's eight hours to eight hours each way or eight hours four hours each way? Eight hours each way. God help me. So yeah so you drive out there eight hours stay overnight then start work and then what's the story? Yeah and I work 12 hour shifts for a week and then um, drive back again. Uh, yeah, well, and how long have you been doing that, PJ? Um, I've been a paramedic for over 20 years, and the last 10 years I've been rural remote, so I've been very lucky. I've worked up in the Gulf, um, up in Cape York, and uh, out in South Australia's outback, and for all different mines. But I love being out in the bush, and that's where you really make a difference, because um, it, it's just me. <laughs> So you've got to get it right, and luckily I have um, Royal Flying Doctor here as backup, and occasionally if we got a chopper close enough, we can get a chopper in, but yeah, usually it's RFCS and the local GP in Nara, he's wonderful. And you're, you, you're it in lots of cases, aren't you, um, PJ? Yeah, yeah I've, um, it's just me, and I have a, a brilliant Mind Rescue team, who are the best in Queensland. They won the award this year, so they're a great bunch of guys. They just, they, they call it, they're, they're, the, um, they're the muscle and I'm the brain, so they say, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, P, P, so you live in Brisbane, PJ? Uh, yes, out in um, Ipswich, sort of west of west yep. Brisbane, yeah, um, and travel up to Mara each week. I actually work for... Um, Australian senior medical officers, and we just go to places where they can't get a doctor to come in, and and um, yeah, it's, it's a great lifestyle. I do everything from general medicine right up to emergency medicine. So oh, there's no, never a dull moment. <laughs> good on you, PJ. Great to talk to you this morning. Uh, keep up the good work. Hope to meet you sometime. Yeah, that'll be lovely. Thanks for um, talking, and I enjoy your show. Thank you very much. Thank you, PJ.
What Bye. Lovely, bye. What a lovely girl. My guest, Graham Todd, is... Graham, who's this uh, lady sitting next to you? Well, she's related to me, Macca. Is she? My daughter. Our daughter, Jackie. Hello, Jackie. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much. That's good. It's a pleasure. Um, Graham's been a long-time um, transactional person with, with China, um, taking... Um, Things like tomatoes. What about those Morocco tomatoes? They sound nice, don't they? Tomatoes and strawberries and raspberries and macadamias. You obviously have a passing acquaintance with the language. You can speak a bit of Chinese, can you? I suppose, is it necessary or...? Uh, the three things that I learned about speaking in China was cold beer. Thank you. See you tomorrow. That's all you need. Really? <laughs> and and the, the, um, the produce you have sort of spoke for itself, I suppose, did it really? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we've... Uh, I remember one of our clients was Dalgetty's, a very important company mm. in the Australian wool industry, as you would know. Yeah. And uh, I was in Shanghai on one particular trip, and the Chinese said, look, Mr. Todd, I think we were really serious about buying some of your lovely sheep, uh, but we need them with long wool. I said, yeah, that's no problem. We have plenty of long wool sheep breeds in Australia. Uh, we want the wool to be 20 inches. I, uh, pardon, Mr. Lee? 20 inches. Well, uh, look, I'll just check with my office. So I rang. I'll see you tomorrow, Mr. Lee. I went back to the hotel, rang Peter Lang, who was the boss man at that stage for <coughs> Dalgetty's. Peter, the Chinese want some wool sheep for breeding with 20 inches long. He said, Toddy, we don't have that. I said, Peter, we've got border leicesters in Australia, have a 10 inch fleece. He said, Yeah, you can do that if you don't shear it for a couple of years. Well, you go 10 inches up and 10 inches down the other side, that's 20 inches. So I went back the next day, said to the Chinese, we can do, no problem, 20 inches, 10 inches up and 10 inches down. They ordered 200. We flew them up, the first load of sheep to go to China. From really? Dalgetty, 200. <laughs> True story. So what do you think when you look back on your time? You must be sort of pretty proud of... Very what, proud. Yeah. Very proud. Of what you've done. And you, it's a wonder you haven't, have you received, you've just done this quietly or have you received the order of China or... An... No, I'm just waiting for that in the mail, but it's the Chinese <laughs> mail probably, so it'll be on the long... Not long... good? Not good, the Chinese mail? No, it's the long March mail. <laughs> I remember reading uh, Hugh Lund's book, uh, Spies Like Us, about when he went into yes. China yes. and... Um, and he said the train trip, probably the same train trip you took, um, yes. the steam train at that yes, time. I correct. think he was 65 or something like that when he went. Um, but um, went past rows and rows and full of these steel frame buildings which were just rusting away. Part of the, I don't know, the Great Leap Forward or whatever. They just, they'd built them and... Mowed, and then they just sort of rusted away and didn't. nothing happened to them. At that time, I don't know, things well, changed, see, of course. Yeah, things have changed. 1965 was my first visit to Hong Kong. I was on my way around the world on a trip for 18 months and my dear mate John Bailey and Hobart and I were going together and I said, let's do a food promotion, first Australian food promotion ever into China. So with the cooperation of all the producers in Tasmania, we had everything, the meats, the fish, the vegetables, even the chocolates from Cadbury's and soft drinks from Cascade and the beer, no wine. We didn't have wine in Tasmania at that stage. The only wine grower there was a guy called Claude Alcorso who owned silk and textile printers up the Doohan Valley up past the Cadbury factory. He had a private vineyard. But because Swift had their office in Hong Kong, they were able to get wine from Sammy Wynn and uh, some of his wines were in Hong Kong. 
So the first Australian food promotion was held there. Uh, Qantas flew up the jet fresh beef, first jet fresh beef ever to leave Australia by Qantas, and Orchid East P&O, the ship we were on, took everything up that was non-perishable. And uh, we held that first food promotion in the Ambassador Hotel in Hong Kong, 1965. So now... China's one of our biggest buyers of Australian produce, and thanks to that maybe little seed that we sowed yeah. back in '65. So I'm talking to Graham Todd, who's been dealing with China, um, selling bits and pieces and bringing stuff back. Of course, um, you must. Uh, it was in your interest, I suppose, to know everything that was going on in Australia, what people were producing around Australia, where they were, where they uh, were, how you can get in touch with them. So, and maybe saying, well, look, maybe this would uh, go down well in China, and vice versa. Of course, we were approached by many companies in Australia, and we also were knocked on a few doors too. To I can do this for you in China. You've never been to China, Mr. Wong, or Mr. Not Mr. Wong, Mr. Uh, Smith, Mr. Smith, or Mr. Jones, or Mr. Whatever. And because of the contacts that I made in China in those early days, they were they were rather unique. That I could go and knock on your door and say, Mr. McNamara, now you want to set up a radio station in China. <laughs> I happen to know the general manager of Peking Radio Corporation, whatever yeah. crap that I'd come up with, but um, I'd, I'd go and find that person and uh, I'd make it successful that I could finally introduce you to the right people in China and having travelled all over China from Hainan Island right down the south right up to Changchun in the far northeast and everywhere in between, I didn't go by plane, I don't like flying. Mm. So you don't see too much from the air how the crops are. I remember I had a call from one of our good friends in Winnipeg, uh, James Richardson, the biggest grain traders in America, in, in North America. And they rang me one day and said, Toddy, how good are the crops looking in China this year? And I said, well, I just came from Peking south down through to Shanghai and then I've come down through the middle down to Guangzhou. I reckon that probably up at that northeast, and they're probably the best I've seen them for ages. Thank you. Now, that was information that you couldn't get from in No, exactly. You had to be there you had in to be China, there. on yeah. the ground, not man, in the air. Our man in Havana, that's what you are. Our, <laughs> our man in Guangzhou. You seem to know the geography of China like the back of your hand too, all those names that most of us, we know Peking and Shanghai, most of us. Yeah. But you, you seem to know the place but, pretty well. Yeah, I travelled because we had the clients that we had were many and varied and different products. I had to go to a vermiculite mine, for example, which is supply all the vermiculite to CSR for their insulation of the building boards and also for expansion, exfoliation for the ceilings. You used to have vermiculite ceilings in most of the motels uh-huh. around Australia. I remember coming back in the van in the back with a hole with the exhaust fumes coming through <laughs> and the van broke down and they had... To stop by the side of the road, I got out, sat in the gutter on the side of the road, the drain, and I had my portable radio with me that I always took. I got Voice of America. And there was the President of the United States giving some announcement that he was very proud to be making. And included in that announcement, he may well be even somebody in China listening to my announcement now. And, it and was. Here, here I am in China, and I actually wrote a letter to the president later. I never got a reply. I'm still waiting. Course, yeah, it's probably yeah. in the same mail, but <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, I was in China listening to your broadcast. There you go. Um, Jackie uh, um, 
Graham's daughter, did you go to China? Is that, has that been part of your bailiwick? Yeah, so- absolutely. We were, I think it was 1979, I went for the first time as a young child. And I think it was 1980, we actually drove in a vehicle that my father had purchased for the company there. And we drove down to Hainan Island, which is now all resorts and golf courses. In those days, <laughs> it was literally nothing. And people were just taking photos of us and touching our hair. My younger brother, Chris, was also there. And so really... We yeah. went number of times throughout China over the years. You hear that story a lot, don't you, about uh, touching and, and crowds gathering, especially if you've got blonde hair or something like that. You hear that. Because I suppose they, um, the more remote you go, um, they hadn't seen people from anywhere else. Not at all. In fact, I remember one particular time we'd, Dad and I were there alone and we were on the train on the siding and we'd stopped and we'd got off and we were just waiting and everybody was looking at us. I love the attention. My brother came once and hated it, so he never actually came back. But I loved it. And I was standing there and a military train pulled up and all of the soldiers leant over to look at me. From, and the whole train tilted. And then because Dad knows their military anthem, he actually started whistling it. And he was conducting the whole train. The whole train was singing their song whilst Dad conducted. And I must have been seven or eight and I still remember that feeling and how now how proud I am, but then how proud I was wow. to watch Dad do that. It was incredible. Whistle. Whistle for me. You're a great whistler because um, we've been talking about whistling. We're talking about a blackbird. So is this something you've been doing since you were a kid or did you – because the Chinese seem to me to have great whistlers. Yes, I – was actually quite uh, embarrassed on a number of occasions, and embarrassed actually the Chinese whistler, because the Chinese used to make you go to the theatre. They'd come to your room and say, you are coming. And I said, I don't want to go, for you're coming. And they would literally take you there. And on several occasions, Peking, I remember, Shanghai and also in Guangzhou, they had this whistler up on the stage, and I'm down crawling around in the middle of the rows down the back there somewhere, and he would whistle, and I'd, when he finished, and I'd... Jump in, jump in the same thing and he'd be looking around the crowd but I've got my mouth closed when I whistle. You're whistling through the, your teeth? I'm not going to tell you, Maka. <laughs> so, Jackie, are you taking... Uh, Graeme, you're about to... You've sort of uh, wound back. Um, I'm uh, 82 next week mm. and um, next month. And uh, no, I'm still active. We're still uh, exporting uh, trees to China and major trees around Australia to major projects. So. I remember I remember when you took the trees to the Olympics. Um, 97. 97. I was in here talking to you. Yeah, exactly. And and Graham, ladies and gentlemen, bust, not bust, barged, barged trees down, 90. The, down the 90, 90 trees? 90 trees, six voyages from Tweed Heads to Sydney. It's the longest voyage ever done by... A tree. <laughs> tug and barge. <laughs> <laughs> anywhere in the world. Unbelievable. And mm. um, and they're still growing there, I suppose, yes, at the at Olympic Village. Isn't that yeah. an amazing thing? Yeah. Amazing thing. You must, yeah, a life well lived, uh, Graham. And, yes, and well, see, when uh, Whitlam was going to normalise diplomatic relations with China, which he did in December 72, prior to that he sent Jim Cairns up to China and the late Ken Meyer to uh, investigate what should be done if and when he did normalise relations. Mr Meyer used to bring here from time to time. He used to listen down the south coast. Yes, mm. late, late Ken Meyer. Well, nice he, fellow. He actually put in a report to Parliament and a copy was sent to me, only, I guess, because the name China Trading Company 
he thought was maybe Chinese. And uh, included in that was one of the first things we should do was open up the uh, botanical exchange officially between our two countries. I did that. I went to the botanic gardens in Sydney, saw the boss man there, and he was delighted and gave me a letter and 26 packets of eucalypt seeds, which I delivered to China a few weeks later, and that's the first official botanical exchange between our two countries. Graham, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Jackie, nice to meet you too. That's a, a lovely story about the train. and the, and the, Can you whistle a spasm of the um, national anthem or whatever that you were whistling? No, oh, I've forgotten that one. <laughs> I can give you this. No, just the uh, black boats. <laughs> great to talk to you, Macker, and thanks for the invitation to come and say hello. That's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, and to see Lee again. I haven't seen Lee for ages. And she, she's a year older today. Um, yes, well, happy birthday. And I bought you in a present, Lee, some non-fattening chocolates. Oh, good. They're the best. So, Jackie, nice to meet you too. And uh, yeah, Nice, nice to, to meet you too, Macker. And if I can just take the opportunity, um, my parents have been married not only 50 years of the Canton Fair this year, but... 50-year wedding anniversary for my parents in a few days. So wow. very, very proud. Still holding hands, which is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Good on you. Hi, it's India here, and I came to talk about our holiday. India? India. Yeah. Where, where are you, India? We're in Broome. Uh-huh. We came from Eden Park, and we came up to Uluru, and we came up... And we did the Giver Road, Gib River Road, mm-hmm. and then we came here to Broome, and now we're about to go down back down to Darwin, and then back home. We're about halfway through our holiday. Oh well, how old are you, India? I'm ten. And uh, it's a great uh, great experience to travel around Australia and go to places. I love Broome; it's a lovely place. But um, yeah. you've you've obviously seen a lot in your in your travels already. Yeah, we've been to a lot of places. We're on a two-month holiday and we're halfway through. And you're doing school at the back seat, are you? Um, yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> we have to keep a journal, though. Yes, yes, you'll be asked questions and you'll have to write a little essay when you get home about what you <laughs> did and and, yeah. and you'll have to tell. What school do you go to? I go to Ivanhoe Grammar School, the Plenty Campus, down north of Melbourne. North of Melbourne, there you go. Well, um, I suppose all your schoolmates are pretty jealous of you being able to do that. Yeah, we get to miss a lot of school. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah, get to miss a lot of school. (laughs) (laughs) India, uh, so you're staying in Broome now and then you're heading to Darwin, which is up, yeah, you'll go through, um, you go to Fitzroy Crossing probably if you're going from Broome, you go through Fitzroy Crossing and uh, places like that, Victoria River Crossing and uh, Catherine, then up to Darwin and then home again. So um, you've got another month to go, have you? Um, Yeah, we're going to. Yeah, just a month to go, and then we're going to start heading back down. Well, it's a lovely name, India, too. Why did the, your mother call you, or your parents call you India? For any particular reason, India? I don't think so. I think they just like the name. Well, I like the name, too. I think it's very nice. Yeah. It's unusual. Nice yeah. to talk to you, India, and you keep up the good work. Ring us again from time to time on your way home, okay? Thank you. It's a pleasure. Bye. <laughs> G'day, this is Macca. Yeah, g'day, it's Captain Darren Grogan, the commanding officer of HMAS Success, the first lady of the fleet. <laughs> g'day, Captain Darren. Uh, whereabouts are you? Well, I'm just standing on the bridge now and I'm looking out the windows and I see Centrepoint Tower 
and we're heading home after four months away and to decommission the old girl after 33 years of dedicated service. Wow. Uh, well, you better tell us about, uh, so you're off the coast or you're in the harbour or what? Uh, we're literally heading directly into Sydney Harbour as I speak. We crossed line Zulu about 9 o'clock and then berth at 10 o'clock this morning to hopefully lots of family and friends. I'll say you will. You've been away for a while. Tell us about um, success, uh, Captain Darren. Sounds like a um, sounds like a Chinese. Now, when I was in Esperance years ago, I went aboard this grain carrier, and it was called the Mass Success. I think the name of the boat was called. So the the Chinese use words like uh, don't they gold and success and happiness and all those sort of things. But anyway, tell us about success. Yeah, eighteen thousand tons. She's our, our um, auxiliary oil replenishment ship. So the old girl's been going for 33 years, a couple of hundred people on board. Um, most, uh, I think the, one of the most amazing facts is that we've nearly passed 500 million litres of fuel um, to our customers over the years. And your customers are basically other Navy ships or all sorts of uh, ships? Yeah, lots of obviously our the Australian Navy ships, but also um, ships from lots of countries. We just got back from doing Indo-Pacific Endeavour for the last four months, which had us visit five different countries and pass fuels and conduct fueling ops with about 22 nations. Darren, when you do something like this, uh, decommission uh, uh, a ship like Success, which has had a great uh, history, 33 years, you said, um, a tinge of sadness, I'd say. Uh, so it's one of those emotional roller coasters where after being away for four months, all we want to do is get home. But the, the so what of getting home means that the end of the road for the old girl. How long have you been on success, Darren? I've been here since August last year, and I'm lucky enough to be the new commanding officer of our replacement tanker, HMAS Supply. So, a double win. Yeah, so, uh, and what's a usual, what's a usual commission uh, for, for a captain? You know, uh, what, a month, a year, two years, three years, five years? Depends, normally, I suppose. And I normally get two years, so I've been lucky enough to be a CEO of two other ships, and I did those for two years each. Um, and... Yeah, two years if we're lucky. Hey, if they let me stay out here, I'll stay out here forever. It's better than sit behind the chair. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's, it's hard to sail a desk, isn't it, Darren? Where, where are you from, Darren, originally? Uh, I'm a Melbourne boy down on the Bayside, so born and bred down in Aspendale. And, and why did you join the Navy? Uh, someone might suggest run away from home, but no, my father has uh, also served in the Navy, and we have a very proud tradition in our, in our family which was amazing. We just had a, a, actually a family's cruise on board where I brought 60 different family members of different sailors. So we got to show them what we do at sea. And my dad was one of them, which was pretty exciting as well. So, Darren, you'll, you'll be into uh, docks at uh, Garden, Garden Island today at, what, time 10 o'clock? Yeah, 10 o'clock arrival. And there'll be lots of family there. It'll be uh, lovely to see everybody, I, I suspect. Um, how do you like that life where you're away from home, you know, three, four, five, six months? Yeah, uh, hey, it obviously comes with its challenges, but we're, we're lucky we're our own little tight-knit family out here at sea. So we go from one family to the next family when we get home. I talked to a bloke who was on a, um, a bauxite carrier and, uh, I, you know, I was talking to him about, because uh, he was away, you know, he's away for a fair while and he's, and I said, how's family life? He said, oh, he said, you know, he said, oh, uh, the wife looks after you, but I go home, straighten them all out, he said, and then, you know, give, them, give the kids a kick up the bum, and then he says, I'm oh, back, back to... As if, as if he was... Yeah. He straightened it out when, in fact, I spoke to his wife later, and she said, well, 
I do all the discipline. I do all that. He comes home for a week and we're sort of glad to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, coming from someone who had a dad in the Navy for 50-something years, I, I know that mums are the ones that do all the work and all, I, all we want to recognise and I, our family and friends network is very important. But the, the mums, the, the dads, uh, we've got a couple of dads at home looking after the kids while mum's out at sea. Um, they, they do it tougher than we do and we love them for what they do. Darren, just tell me this quickly. You say uh, supply is the new, is that a, a new built ship, is it? Yeah, we're currently nearly finished build over in Spain. So we're getting two of them, the supply and the store, and they'll replace HMAS Success and Sirius. All right, so what, if it, what sort of a trip have you had back? Has it been uh, good sailing or...? Yes, no, it's been great. Luckily, we've, as I said, it's a, a four-month trip that we've travelled basically halfway around the world, and the weather's been good. The the ship, um, most amazingly or most impressively, and what makes me the proudest is that uh, that last four months at sea, we didn't have we didn't lose a single day for a um, material or personnel deficiency, and we didn't miss a raz. So the old girl was maybe resisting retirement. I don't know. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's always funny, isn't it, that you that uh, boats, uh, well, lots of things get decommissioned when, in fact, they're they're still going strong. But anyway, that's I suppose that's the the way of life. Yeah, that's that. All good things must come to an end, and it's all about the future for everything. Darren, I wish we were all standing on the bridge with you. If you know what I mean, it'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, early morning, beautiful, beautiful sight going to the lovely Sydney Harbour. It is. It is. We're looking forward to be home. Thanks for your time this morning. I better get down there and drive the ship. Good on you, Darren. See you later, mate. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.